So hi guys, I'm Jenny and I'm a high school student from Sydney, Australia. And I'm also a regional director here at AM for Teens. Hi, my name is Andy. Um, I live in Georgia and I'm a current junior working with Love for Basics um, under AM for Teens. Hi guys, my name is Zentesh Fock and I'm a volunteer at Love 146. We are proud members of AM for Teens. Our mission is to connect young people around the world with opportunities and established international organizations to contribute to the fight against the global issue that they're passionate about. So for those of you who aren't familiar with Love 146, it's an international um, non-government organization that works towards the end of child trafficking. And they do this through tons of initiatives like survivor care programs, prevention, education, training and grassroots empowerment. And after going through the training curriculum, we realized that there are a lot of misconceptions and unanswered questions surrounding human trafficking, which we decided could be best answered in a podcast series. So just before officially beginning this episode, um, we think it's important to include a trigger warning because we'll be discussing some potentially triggering content. So if you are in any way triggered by sexual abuse or assault and human trafficking, we advise you not to listen to this episode. So with that being said, um, our speaker today is Ramona. Ramona works at Love 146. She's a development specialist and she'll be answering a bunch of questions that our volunteers had about um, human trafficking. And we hope that you guys enjoy this episode. Hi, Ramona. It's nice to see you. I guess the first question is for those who aren't really familiar with Love 146, what's the meaning behind the name Love 146? Sure, that's a great question. Way back when, almost 20 years ago, our president and CEO was on a mission trip in Southeast Asia, and he had firsthand experience with children who were in a brothel and and being sex trafficked. And he looked around and he saw children who were waiting to meet their Johns and they were in a room watching cartoons, you know, something that children typically do. And from his perspective, the children seemed not very in the moment, not very there, just kind of spaced out and waiting with the exception of, of one girl. And the Johns had taken away the, the kids' names and in placement for that, they had given them numbers that they wore on their chest. And this one girl who Rob saw and what he perceived to be just real defiance in her eyes and her attitude. Her number was 146. And so when he came back home to the United States, he gathered a group and in memory of her, named the organization Love 146. Wow, that's so cool. It's so cool. There's a whole story about the defiance. So I guess another question we had was what drew you to volunteer at Love 146? Sure. So I'm actually an employee. So I work here. uh, And I've been working at Love 146 since January 2021. So still kind of newish. And initially, what drew me to the organization was, was their vision, you when you open the website, you see it right there. And it says to end child trafficking and exploitation, nothing less. You know, this is a topic that I feel that people in developed countries are not necessarily talking about. We tend to think of, you know, ending homelessness and hunger or global warming, um, but we don't think about trafficking 
And we don't think about trafficking specifically in, in developed countries. You know, this is a far away problem. This is something that happens over there. So I work in the development department, which is the department that builds relationships and brings in funding for the organization. And so I feel like it puts me in a unique position of really working one-on-one with people where I can help them understand that this is not a faraway issue. You know, we do have survivor homes and restorative homes in the Philippines, but we also have services, survivor care services in the UK and right here in the United States and Connecticut. And so when they tell people that, I think they're they're pretty su- surprised. And, you know, I'm not certified to directly work with the youth that we serve, but I can bring awareness to the issue. Um, and having rec- people recognize the issue is very important in preventing child trafficking. So that's what drew me in. That's so interesting. I definitely agree. A lot of people feel like the issue of child trafficking is so huge that it couldn't occur in the United States or in Australia. So that's really interesting. Yeah, exactly. That's why I think it's really important to to build awareness. And that's part of our job too. That's part of one of our programs that we have at Love 146 is, is building awareness to prevent child trafficking. What are some common ways people can be trafficked? You know, I think they're understanding uh, fact versus myth is a great place to start understanding how trafficking happens. And so like one of the biggest misconceptions is that young women and girls are trafficked by a stranger who just pulls up in a white van and yanks them off the street and then drives them far, far away to a brothel where they're forced into prostitution or are first forced to work in horrible conditions. Uh, When in reality, traffickers can look like anybody. They don't fit a stereotype. You know, at Love 146 and our survivor care, we've, we've worked with survivors who their exploiters have been family members, community leaders, clergy, partners, employers. And so, you know, like I said, it doesn't fit one mold. Um, and then, so what happens is that traffickers exploit the vulnerabilities of children um, and vulnerability can be past abuse. It could be poverty. Being a child is inherently a vulnerability. Traffickers really work to exploit that. And they groom their victims into believing that they're friends or by promising food or shelter work, like telling a young girl, come with me, you can be a model. You know, I could get your work being an actress. And so they make these connections. And then by the time these connections have been built and these relationships have been made, children tend to go with their traffickers willingly. So it isn't like somebody's going to go and kidnap you. So I think one of the main ways that people are trafficked is grooming. Right, definitely. You said before that a lot of the times trafficking isn't someone coming along in a white van and just like snatching people off the streets and that this could be happening in developed countries. So I guess what we want to ask is how can we recognize red flags or warning signs of child trafficking in our own backyard? Yeah, You know, that's a really great question. And it's sometimes not immediately apparent when somebody is being trafficked. But I think one of the first signs is somebody being disconnected from family and friends. Have they pulled away from activities? Traffickers really like to isolate their victims. Um, And so this could be a potential early sign of trafficking. And then maybe some other signs could be limited 
limited freedom of movement, change in habits. And like I said just now, like if somebody was really passionate about something and then suddenly are no longer interested in that, that could be a big red flag. Um, lack of personal possessions, lack of money or control of their money, even though they say they're working um, and they're employed, but they never have money. That's a big red flag. If they don't have control anymore over their credentials or identifying documents like a passport or a driver's license, uh, a lot of times traffickers will take these things from, from their victims in order to control them. If they're now suddenly living with an employer, that's a big red flag. If their answers seem coached in any way, if you approach a friend or somebody who you suspect of being trafficked and you know, you ask them how they are and their answers seem really rehearsed or coached, that could be another red flag. Thank you for the red flags. And um, my question for you is how do we protect ourselves and others from these situations? Yeah, so I think that, like I said, the first thing is just being aware and focusing on the ways that traffickers gradually lure their victims. I think that's critical in recognizing and preventing sex trafficking. Um, also understanding vulnerabilities of children in your community and what makes them high risk of human trafficking. Uh, examples I gave previously, I think were poverty, past abuse, being a child is inherently a vulnerability as well. And so is being a minority in your area. So all those things, you know, knowing what makes children vulnerable in your community is important to learn. Um, be smart online. <laughs> I can't stress this one enough. I say this to my kids all the time. I have a 15-year-old and an 11-year-old, and every time I say it, they roll their eyes at me, but you don't know who you know, if somebody's a stranger and you don't know them, or they say, hey, I know your friend Tom, you should accept my friend request. They may not know Tom, you know, or they may be, I always tell my kids, like, this, this may be a 45-year-old man, and they're telling you they're an 11-year-old girl, because you could really be anybody who you want to be. So really be smart with strangers online. Don't tell, don't get personal information out. That's, that's incredibly important. And then learn to recognize red flags for, of trafficking victims like we just talked about. Um, and I think the last thing is if you suspect somebody's being trafficked, you know, if you've seen these changes of behaviors in your friends or within your community, I think it's important that you call your national trafficking hotline. So I have a phone number for that in Australia. It's um, 02951-48115. That number is for the Anti-Slavery Australia hotline. And in the United States, you can call 888-373-7888. And that's our national trafficking hotline. So it's important to know those numbers if you suspect trafficking in your area. Right. Thanks. Those are really like practical tips. A lot of people don't really know how to deal with it if they think they've recognized signs as well. But yeah, something we actually talked about in the previous episode of this podcast series was the language surrounding trafficking. So we talked about um, using the word rescue and how we should use more empowering language and things like differences between survivor and victim. We're just wondering what are some like language that we should avoid using or like things that have like hidden nuances with them to avoid creating sensationalism in the media and things like that. Yeah. So 
That's a really good one. Um, what we have found is that like the word prostitution or child prostitute is presented a lot in the media and the word prostitute itself refers to a person who engages in activity in exchange for money. And for many, the word prostitute, I think, carries an implication of choice. But under our federal law in the United States, people under the 18 don't legally have that consent to commercial sex. So they're always legally victims of sex trafficking. And so using the term prostitute instead of victim, I think it perpetuates a sort of incorrect and damaging idea of of children who have been who have been trafficked. And then also at Love 146, what we found, our director of communications, Marilyn, always says words matter, right? When it's absolutely true. And so we've recently within our organization and we put out a statement that says we stopped using the word slavery and abolition. Um, and this was sparked because in the United States, those terms are strongly associated with our country's history of chattel slavery. And so the, the National Survivor Network acknowledges that slavery and trafficking are two different experiences. They may have similar structural concepts, but they're not the same. Uh, and in our work, we found that youth who we serve don't relate to these terms either. And, you know, that that itself can be a misnomer, calling somebody a slave, a child sex slave. Again, just like prostitution can paint a, a different picture of what we're learning about how trafficking actually works. Um, when you think of a slave, you think someone who's shackled and taken to a faraway place when it you know, can probably not be like that. So in Love 146, it's important for us to accurately portray how trafficking happens, as well as respecting our youth that we've served and honor their feelings. And so we no longer call it slavery. I really agree with what you said about how words like paint a picture and stuff, because it is important about what you say and whatnot. And my other question for you is, how is human trafficking being stopped in developing countries? Um, yeah, so again, our approach is to have a big table and we don't know all the answers at Love 146. We are forever learners. And so we think that combating human trafficking, there isn't, it's not a one size fits all approach. And what has been effective in one country is it necessarily effective in another area? And again, this is why it takes multiple organizations to come together and, and make a global impact uh, against trafficking. And then so one example where Love 146 has been successful was a program we were implementing in Africa. It focused on awareness, outreach, and community transformation. So working in part with partners with indigenous organizations. We train local folks on implementing an educational flip chart uh, and it's called My Body is Mine, which we used in Cambodia and all over Southeast Asia and that's proved effective over there. So we, we were able to transition it to work in different countries in Africa. And then the, the flip chart emphasized messages for children regarding their values, their rights, and, and their ability to stand up for themselves to help ensure that the youth don't fall victim to abusers or traffickers or exploiters. And the flip chart is specific to that country and it has their human hotline, their human trafficking hotline number. Uh, and then that could be utilized by an adult or, or a child. And 
we also educated the youth to connect them with resources should they find themselves that they're vulnerable to trafficking or exploitation. And we also focused on parents and, and caregivers and adults who have children in their care, teaching them how what the red flags are and to help them be more aware of how to help the children in their care against trafficking and exploitation. What are some community empowerment initiatives and what can young people do to help? Yeah. So I think, first of all, this is fantastic what you guys are doing because it's outreach and learning the signs and teaching others to recognize the signs. Um, that's really important. And like I said before, many people don't realize that trafficking is still a problem today. Uh, so creating awareness is crucial to preventing trafficking. Um, at Love 146, we have a great volunteer program uh, where we do community empowerment initiatives that teach people to be the eyes and ears of their community in a city so that they can, so that trafficking doesn't go undetected. And what we do is we go typically into hotels or motels. You know, traffickers market victims on the internet and often use hotels and motels as a place for exploitation. And that could be their home base for trafficking to post ads. Um, so hotel, we teach hotel and motel employees to spot the signs and, and be the key stakeholders in the fight against child trafficking. So for example, a housekeeper at a hotel can learn that seeing excessive cash in a room or notices that there's a constant flow of people coming in and out of the room, uh, she can make a call to the national human hotline, trafficking hotline. And then, you know, keeping yourself informed and spreading awareness is key. Another thing you could do is you could visit our website, love146.org. We have a fantastic resources page. Uh, it has webinars. It has stories from survivors who we've journeyed with. It has facts and common myths about trafficking. And if you're interested in learning more or volunteering, you can give me a call or email me. Thank you so much. It's been so amazing listening to all your advice. And I think especially the, the main point that really stuck with me is the fact that trafficking still exists in developed countries, which is which are the countries uh, listeners are most likely to be living in. Right. So I think that's definitely really important. So yeah, thank you so much. If people want to find out more, um, we'll link Love 146's website in the description below. So feel free to check that out and their Instagram as well. Thank you so much, Jenny and everybody. Uh, I appreciate you and I appreciate you learning about trafficking and the issue and spreading awareness. This is fantastic.